Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club, and I'm here in Belfast. Hi, I'm Jay Crow, founder and editor of the EaglesBeat.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also producer and co-host of the music and sports social on a local community radio station, which you can get us on Twitter at Meridian SS and the Eagles Beat. You can get us at the Eagles Beak. Hi there. Uh, I'm Doc Joshi. I'm a Manchester United fan. Uh, I'm back on Twitter, actually, after a bit of a hiatus. Hey. So you can find me at uh, Medi Joshi, M-E-D-I-J-O-S-H-I. And I do all sorts of other stuff like podcasts and appear on YouTube channels as well. So uh, from a football perspective uh, and uh, my background has helped me do a special on this podcast on the COVID-19. So that's good. Yeah, we appreciated uh, Joshi coming on and talking about the COVID-19 stuff right before the Premier League shut down. We did a whole show talking about how they needed to. Uh, and then they did, so I assume that they were listening. Um, hopefully <laughs> they will do so again today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you guys on in the midst of all this insanity. It's nice to be able to sit down and record a show once more. Uh, the reason why we're doing so now is there has been a lot of updates lately uh, about how this is being handled, and we'll obviously get to that in due course. But I wanted to start off um, with the 30% wage discussion. So uh, this came up pretty heavily throughout the week and then was even addressed in the Friday shareholders meeting that was held by the Premier League, um, encouraging the players to take 30% pay cuts in order to pay non-playing staff. The PFA have since refuted that, saying that if there's no formal plan, that they may just be lining the pockets of, of the club and the shareholders themselves. Um, if they agree to this, they'd much rather just give directly uh, to charities that need it. So I was just curious to start off with that since it has been so rampant, especially in the social media spaces this week. Um, where do you fall on this debate of whether or not the players should be the ones picking up the tab for uh, club staff members that obviously are not players? Well, uh, uh, thanks for <clears throat> having me on, Kevin, to talk about um, what is obviously a, a sort of tragic and very, very serious topic. <clears throat> I think the, the problem at the moment is that everything's so fluid. Everything is literally, there are more important things that, that the government has to deal with. Uh, there are more important things that we as individuals have to deal with. And as often in something where society divides where, where it's a polarizing issue it, it's very often about optics uh i mean if you are the sort of person who's antagonistic towards uh 
young men making a lot of money, uh, you probably always will be, and you'll probably uh, cast a lot of responsibility on them that uh, that maybe they don't deserve. And we'll come on to that in a little bit. But uh, it, it's interesting, the whole idea of actually putting a number, putting a, a value, a 30% value on how much someone's earnings should be reduced by is not not a, a precedent, really, I think anybody wants to set. But I think the government at the moment are in panic mode. They're sort of feeling they, they, sh- they should be doing something, but they know that there's other things more important that they need to be doing. Uh, and, and, and this is all about optics. It's all about perception. It's all about how clubs are going to appear and, and players individually are going to appear. And I mean, I, I, I presume you saw the PFA statement um, today that basically said, you know, if we, if we took a 30%, if we instructed our members to take a 30% pay cut, that, that would be a lot less revenue, less tax revenue going into the exchequer, which could then help the NHS. Now, you know, again, optics, that's talk about trying to put a positive spin on something. I mean, that statement is positively Roberto Carlos, basically. Um, but I, I think it is all about this idea of how people think about the value of footballers and and what people should be paying for if you if you buy a season ticket to a club what who are you bailing out who are what what are you uh, what are you getting for your value um and so you know i think there is really a sense that um it, it's hard to avoid a pylon if you're the sort of person that would that would really sort of jump at criticizing uh, the players for being rich and pampered and that sort of thing, you're going to do that anyway, no matter what uh, anybody says. And and some of the players are are certainly making themselves in the game. But but of course, as 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 we all know, as individuals, they do an awful lot of good in their in their local communities. I mean, over here, for example, James McLean, uh, you know, the Stoke player who gets gets a lot of grief on social. Let's be honest, and a lot of it he brings on himself, that, that, which is true. But he he just made a, a huge PPE donation to to hospital workers in Derry, uh, and that was that was kind of an important uh, statement to make for him. But there's there's hundreds of those, uh, and Danny Rose again is exactly another one. Uh, there, there are hundreds of examples of those uh, types of of individual. Uh, statements of generosity that I think go above and beyond um, a- any kind of policy uh, issue. So, you know, there, it, it's it is the sort of thing. There's unease, I think, about how club managements have have manipulated or cl- uh, club ownerships have manipulated the, the stimulus program affecting their their lowest lowest paid workers. And I think, uh, you know, even if you make symbolic gestures, it's better than doing nothing at all. And it's it's always going to be, there are always going to be people who think you're not doing enough. Um, but I think one of the things we have to remember here fundamentally is that football isn't just about the Premier League. It's, you know, there are smaller smaller clubs further down who, who are going to be in in big and, and ongoing financial trouble as a result of this. I mean, a lot of the lower clubs basically get by from season to season. So uh, I think we have to we have to see the industry as 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 an entire whole. And and one of the things we can think about is well how do we how do we move forward at the end of this whenever the end comes and however uh, however the sport looks and however sport in general looks, basically. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's still a fluid situation and really, you know, as I say, it's about optics. It's about everybody trying to sort of respond to a situation that really none of us have any experience in knowing how to respond to. 
Steve, some really good points there. I wanted to pick up on a couple, actually. I I, I find it ludicrous uh, in the first instance that, that footballers have been pinpointed in this way. Um, I know I know for a fact that, you know, the way that footballers are paid and the amount that footballers are paid in this country has always been a bit of a, uh, a bit of a uh, topic of discussion for people that probably don't follow football. Even some football fans probably question, uh, you know, some of the higher salaries in the Premier League. But I think they've been unfairly targeted. As you mentioned, a lot of footballers up and down the Premier League do a lot of good, um, and not, and, and they don't make it known to the press. You know, it's not, you know, they don't go around shouting about things that they do and donations that they do. And you know, a lot of footballers I know from Palace and a lot of London clubs do an awful lot of good for you know, charities in and around the club and, and, and in the local communities. So it's unfair, I think, to to point the finger at footballers when, you know, there's no mention of, you know, Formula One drivers or or other highly paid sportsmen um in, in the country. It's really it's really a difficult one um to, to understand. I, I do I do get it it was a, a journalist making a comment um directly to the health secretary but you know i think he was probably foolish enough to to give the answer that he has and kind of stuck by it um let's not get into politics here i just it's just a bit of a rant there because i find it ludicrous that you know footballers are well paid yes but you know they're treating them as if they don't do anything for charity or for or for communities and that's just that's just not just not right at all um another question to me would be some clubs haven't done themselves any favours, let's be honest. What I say clubs, owners haven't done themselves any favours by furloughing staff. You know, we're, the Premier League is is a very rich football league, as we as we know it, a division even. And, uh, you know, so that you've only got to look at how much the, the, the playoff final is worth, you know, from the championship each season. Um, you know, it's furloughing staff is. I find that a, a, a very, a very hard pill to swallow from from certain clubs. I, I would, I would possibly expect it from some of the, from some of the lo- lower clubs in the Premier League. Perhaps some of the clubs that have just come up this season. But even then, you know, they're they're still getting a good a good share of the uh, the finances, the money, and uh, and what goes to them. Um, but obviously, that doesn't kind of come until towards the end of the season anyway. So it's you know, I guess that's a bit of a moot point in a way. But that that doesn't do us do us any favours when it comes to the Premier League and the clubs in it. But up and down the Premier League, there's a lot of good stuff being done. You know, Steve Parish from Palace has, has guaranteed that he will continue play, paying the non-playing staff at Palace throughout this period, however long it lasts. So, you know, that's one club that's doing doing some good things. And obviously, you know, there's other clubs in the Premier League that are doing good things as well. That kind of gets forgotten when, you know, this finger pointing has kind of gone on this last few days about Premier League footballers. And there's that whole bigger uh, conversation around, you know, cutting players' wages means that there's lower tax and national insurance being paid from those wages that are being, footballers being paid anyway. So it's, you know, it could be a little bit of, you know, cutting those off spite of the face. But yeah, it's it's very odd times, isn't it? it, it it's it's it, We've never experienced any this kind of thing before and we're all kind of learning and, and finding our way through it, uh, through a dark a little bit. And, you know, hopefully, you know, the end, the end will come sooner than, uh, sooner than we, uh, than, than we hope but um yeah it's it's really difficult times and it sometimes it's it feels difficult to be talking about sport um i'm i miss sport as as much as the next person uh, we were talking off air just then and you know during the year i kind of bounce between sports you know when one sport ends the season then i'm on to the next one and you know i'm following two or three sports at, at one kind of time but at the moment it's 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 very peculiar um and um 
just hope people are staying safe, doing the right thing, and uh, you know we'll get through this. But yeah, it's it's a very old scenario for uh, for a sport such as football. But it's the same for a lot of other sports out there. A lot of other massive events have been called off this year. Um, when we do come out the other side of it, it's going to be nothing to <laughs> nothing to look forward to the rest of this year, unfortunately. But um, but I think the, the the bigger the bigger thing is the bigger picture is coming out of it safe and well, and and we'll, we'll go from there points made by both of the guys and actually just going to pick up on that last one uh, point first i think it's uh it's fine to be talking about sport and missing it right because we care about it we like it we enjoy it mm. it's just like any anyone else you take away what the what might be like for us is a hobby a passion something that we just love watching or doing or playing whether it's music sport movies whatever it is if you take it away people are going to miss it so i think that's mm. fine and i think it's okay to be like, oh, you know, to be to be focused in those areas because you kind of want it back and whatnot. Mm. But obviously, in this situation, the the focus from a media perspective and, and and now recently political perspective is the is football and footballers pay, and it has been for a while in the UK media, right? Nobody, like I said, nobody bangs on about Lewis Hamilton's pay and and um, you know other other sports golfers get paid a lot as well. These are the top guys, obviously. I don't mean every one of them, but tennis stars, whoever it might be, footballers aren't the only ones that are earning a lot of money. For me, a, a broad 30% pay cut doesn't make sense. I think um, I, I don't have a solution. It's a difficult one. Uh, I think a lot of players have taken it upon themselves. So I know uh, at United they are going to be donating 30% of their current pay to local NHS uh, and, and community kind of um, um, initiatives in, in which are helping directly with the COVID-19 stuff. And, and and we mentioned a lot of players have done individual stuff, so like Marcus, Marcus Rashford has uh, paid for 400,000 meals for kids and things like that. So people are doing that. And I think I, I prefer that to, to a just a broad 30% cut um, because individual clubs are going to have their own individual situations. That said, I know I think we're going to talk about the furlough, furloughing piece a little bit later on, but um, it shouldn't be a the football players. It, it shouldn't be on the football players to cover a club um, a club's costs. I'm not, you know, if you're at a point where you're paying your club, you're not running your club well enough to be able to pay your your kind of let's say your non-playing staff. Um, in in it's only a month, right? It's no, we're not talking a year. At the moment, that scheme is in place for a month, so um, or three weeks even. I think I'm not sure, but for a month at least, I think. Um, but if you can't do that, then you're not running your club properly, and it it, it is a to me, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, in if you look at the Premier League accounts from uh, the not the season that's been paused, but the previous season, because they've been published in terms of purely TV money that's been paid out to to, to the clubs. The bottom club uh, that year was Huddersfield and they got £96 million, pounds, right? So when you, and that's just purely the TV money. And you're thinking, look, if you're not managing your club well enough to pay, I'm not, and I'm not singling out Huddersfield Town, it's just an example of where the money is, the level of money. If you're, if you're not being, if you're not able to pay your, your staff, um, non-playing staff, if for a month, in that time and you're going to go to the government for 80% of their pay. I think I just, it doesn't sit right with me and I, it doesn't sit right with me that, that 
the football players are being targeted and, and are being told to take a broad 30% cut. That doesn't make sense either um, because they shouldn't be covering it. Uh, I totally would back any kind of, let's say the PFA said, right, instead of, I think they've come out and said, we don't agree with the cut because ultimately the tax that gets paid on that amount of money would be, you'd, you'd end up losing 200 million, right, from the government. It, they've worded it, you'd lose 200 million from the NHS, but, it, you know, the, their, their tax doesn't directly go to the, the NHS. So that's not the point. Right. But for me, if the clubs, the individual clubs have to deal with it in their own ways, right? Some clubs may not be able to, may be able to cover it without having to affect the players or anyone. And other clubs may need that, but it, I think it's an individual thing. Uh, so if players chip together and went, right, we're not going to, what we'll do is after we've been paid, we'll then give back a certain amount so that you can, so that some of the guys can get paid. That, that I think would work and that everyone is happy. But a broad 30% cut doesn't make sense. And targeting them is just, it's standard though, isn't it, in the UK? They, they've always been targeted as, you know, they're, they're generally young, um, young guys who generally don't come from, yeah. Uh, wealthy backgrounds so it's kind of always a little bit like you know let's they're an easy target and we've seen it um just you know for the last 30 years i've been following football in in english football it we've just seen it all the time They're young they've come in, they come into money fairly quickly at a young age a lot of it and now especially a lot of it and they're just an easy target i think and i think that's a bit unfair and and, and i know mentioned jay mentioned not wanting to make it political but yes matt hancock was asked the question so he answered but then he's continuing to answer the same question mm -hmm. in the same way yeah. and that's a, that's exactly. a problem yeah that's a problem right and the first time maybe you're caught off guard and he says yeah they yeah. shouldn't be da -da -da -da. they shouldn't be doing this but after that you've, he's just got to leave it alone and, and just yeah. say look i've got way more things to be dealing with at the moment what you why are you asking me this question I think also a big part of that, and you're absolutely right, they're scrambling to be basically catch up with this. Uh, a big part of that is just the, the precedent of targeting high earners, no matter what section of the community or what section of the economy they come from, is not something that fundamentally the Conservative Party want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I mean, it's it, that's, the, that's the other point that was made, right? There are hedge fund managers who yeah. earn like if you were, that's just an example, right? Hedge fund manager. I just looked it up the other day because I was thinking about it. The, the highest paid hedge fund manager in 2018, because that was the numbers I could find. He earned, uh, he increased his wealth and earned 170 million pounds in a single year. Oh, well, you know, nobody's going off. They should take a 30% drop yeah, exactly. and hand in that cash, yeah. you know, because it doesn't make sense. And, you know, let's go bankers, you know, the top end bankers, CEOs yeah. of companies. Nobody's going, oh, they should all be, whatever, right? So why is it that these young guys who are, you know, you know, they're generally, I think they're all, they're decent guys and you see that they do decent stuff, but at the same time, they're, if it's their money as well, right? We're not, Absolutely. you know, and then you've got these huge corporations like Virgin asking for, you yeah. know, sacking off oh. their staff, asking mm. for money and other, there are lots of other companies. It's, 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 it's just a bit of an odd situation, but we know, that the UK media love to do this to, to footballers, yeah. generally footballers, but sports stars as well. Easy target, absolutely yeah. right. And as you compare the, the two groups of like footballers versus other people with money, two things come to mind. The first, uh, CEO can be CEO until the day he dies. Uh, 
the earnings mm-hmm. window of professional athletes obviously mm-hmm. way smaller. And second, it reminded me of a old Chris Rock bit when he said, people think Shaq is wealthy. Shaq isn't wealthy. Shaq is rich. The guy that signs Shaq's check is wealthy. Um, <laughs> and so kind of to that point of like, why are you targeting what in the full social stratosphere is, you know, nearer the middle? They are not the top of the pyramid. So it is yep. very strange yep. that they continue to attack people in that middle group. It's it's easy to understand from a bottom to top perspective because everybody looks like financial giants when you know you're making thousands instead of millions. Yeah. But still it is a little odd that it keeps yeah. being the but, football. But why not? Why not why not musicians? Why not movie stars? Yeah, why not, you know they're they're all yeah. it's, they're all in the same echelon. And like but you know, mentioned, Kev is a good point is that footballers have a shelf life. Their their earnings are for for a very a, a relatively short period of time. Whereas, like you say, a hedge fund manager or a banker, it's pretty much for life until they retire. You know, uh, I know things could go wrong during that point, but mu- nobody said anything about musicians or movie stars or you know any other sports, which just grates me the most. And, and the, but you know what it is as well. You know what it is as well for like the average person in the UK. Um, footballers are more kind of relate. We relate to them more, right? Because they yeah. don't tend to be highly educated as and i don't mean they're fit i just mean that they don't go to university and get you know mm-hmm. law degrees and medical degrees, yeah, and degrees gen, generally speaking so they're and they're relatable they're like the oh that could have been me kind of guy and mm-hmm. then you see them they earn 10 million a year or whatever and then and then you know and then you kind of go oh, look at that wanker in his in his bentley and, <laughs> and and now he's and now he's refusing to give up money you know it's that's that's also part of it i think you relate to them and you're part and the club you've always loved, uh, you know, as a kid, I've watched United for over 30 years and I've been, I've loved that club. There's so many players coming through. I relate, I, I kind of relate to them. When I was a kid, I used to pretend I had the same birthday as Brian Robson. My mom used to get really pissed off at me. But, you know, and, and you're just, but, but now if you, I, I can see why people get, it's, it, it's so emotional about it and it's an emotive topic. So that's another reason, I, I think, anyway, another reason why. Uh, people are very quick to jump onto to footballers as opposed to like some of the other professions we've already mentioned. Well, I mean, money in football is is one of those discussions, one of those debates that's that, that's never going away. I mean, I uh, sadly I wrote a, an obituary uh, when George Best passed away, and one of the lines was, uh, you know, that there are players, average players today, who make more in a month than Best made in his entire career. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of perspective. But I think the, yeah. the point about um, Chris, uh, uh, Kevin's uh, Chris Rock uh, story is these guys are employees. Uh, and, you know, there isn't an employer anywhere that if you went to them and said, would you like to reduce your wage bill by 25% and still keep the number of employees and, and have their input? There isn't an employee any, or employer anywhere that wouldn't agree to that. Yeah, it's the guys at the top, right? It's, it's, mm. it's, I think it, it's a, and again, we, we talk about clubs, but it is like you said, the owners need to to kind of take a bit, of, take 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 responsibility in these situations. Yeah. In clubs, in clubs, there are you know the ownership is is a big issue more maybe than in other com- in companies where you've got like CEO type leadership. We don't quite have that same like business like structure. Although obviously football is a business, so. You know, I think again, going back to the question, I don't think the answer is a broad thirty percent pay cut. Uh, it's a, it's more nuanced than that, and um, I think the the targeting is unfair. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, so we've touched on a lot of the finances um, throughout that section. So I kind of wanted to run with that and talk to you guys about what financial ramifications you think we'll see in football both during and after this pandemic. I know there were a couple articles already doing the rounds of have we seen the last hundred million pound transfer fee or if players in general will be getting lower wages in future or how this will affect TV deals, especially if leagues can't complete their seasons. Just what do you think the financial landscape of football will look like both during and after this period? Well, I, I would say like off the top of my head, as much as uh, we don't know how this is going to resolve itself and, and whether the season is going to be completed. Um, I would say fundamentally contracts look very different uh, in years to come. I mean, however, regardless of the numbers involved, just in terms of the liability that clubs are going to have uh, to pay players uh, in, in situations such as this, I think you're going to see um, changes to, uh, to player contracts um, uh, that that actually will try and encompass some of this cataclysmic uh, situation uh, and, and try and uh, codify it into the way in which contracts are agreed. That's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because like, like, like you said there, Steve, it's, you know, we, we there's no end in sight to this at the moment and how, how the season is going to be resolved, if at all, um, for, for this season and what decision is going to be made on on that front. Uh, we, we've seen already in Belgium that a decision has been made um, on, on their season, but we're waiting for other leagues to kind of follow. Uh, it's it's so difficult to know. I I do believe that there's going to be that the the, the, the future is going to look very different um, as as to what aspects it's going to look different. I'm not sure, but I think there's going to be a lot of rethinking as to um, both in business and uh, across sport in terms of you know how contracts are structured. Like you said there, Steve, rightly so. Um, yeah, how how owners view things, how footballers probably view things a little bit as well, um, and certainly from a fan perspective, it's. It's, it's, I mean, hopefully this is, this is just a one-off and it's, we're not going to encounter anything similar um, in our lifetimes again, but who knows, you know, we, we, we just don't know. And, and this pandemic that's um, affecting the, you know, the whole world is, it's just something that, you know, we, like we've already mentioned, we don't know when it's going to end and, and, and how sport is going to get back to some sort of normality. I mean, we've already seen the Olympics move to next year, the European Championships move to next year. It's only really um, the season sports, uh, you know, need to make a decision and think about what, what needs to be done to this season. Obviously, contracts situation, you know, at the end of June is, is going to be an issue and, and that sort of thing. So it's just, 
it's just absolute chaos, isn't it? It really is chaos, you know, from 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 the seasons just being suspended for a, what was it? I think it was like three or four. Was it three weeks to start with, or two weeks? They said it was going to be suspended mm. until mm-hmm. they probably until they saw the true realization of how how things were, you know, we're gonna we're gonna change. And obviously now it's suspended across the board, and you know, non-league football's been. You know, it's it, the, the season's been null and void below the national league, which um, which is going to kill a few clubs. There's no doubt about it. There's I know some clubs in this area that were struggling financially already, um, and and they're going to be hit big time. And uh, the, it, I, I think it's going to cull a few football clubs, unfortunately, because they just can't you know can't keep existing on you know and the players and, and and that kind of thing and, and just not seeing out a season and getting those crowds in which is you know which, which is the real downside to this story isn't it um you know that we we've got proud heritage heritage in this country from football and and the size of the pyramid and and how far down it goes compared to other countries um and and the non non the non-league uh pyramid is gonna is gonna struggle big time um it it, it really is uh, i just think things are going to change i'm not sure quite how um but i think there's going to be a lot of people thinking very differently going forward yeah i totally agree and that's that's not just in football i think you know putting on a bit of a my medical hat and understanding how this is likely to pan out the whole world has changed right everything everyone is it's kind of probably in some areas, maybe a bit of an awakening. In other areas, it's mm. going to be a tweaking. But um, fundamentally, the world has changed. And, you know, l- let me give, uh, bringing it back to the football side of things. I personally think people are crazy to think that this current, the season that's just been paused is going to restart. I think mm. the next season is at risk already. Mm. Um, and and there, I'll tell you why. And, and this relates, I guess, maybe a bit to the contracts piece as well, because no matter what happens with this current lockdown that we're in in the UK, which isn't even a proper lockdown, but it's, you know, you know, the, the current restrictions that we've got in place, whatever happens with that, that's not going to resolve anything. We're not going to have any resolution to this until we've got a vaccine, which is only going to be available at the absolute earliest in about a year. Right. But I think probably 18 months. Um, there was some talk from the European Commission that one might be available this summer, but from what I've seen in development programs across the world, the most um, advanced one is Moderna, is a Moderna vaccine. And if everything goes smoothly, they start phase two studies in the summer, phase three at the beginning of next year. So I don't know what the European Commission were talking about. But anyway, there's a bit of a tangent. But basically what that means is we're probably... Um, in my, it was certainly what I would think of doing, because you can't keep in a lockdown for indefinitely for 18 months. Yeah, I totally get that. From a medical and scientific perspective, you, if we're looking at purely controlling this virus, you would just go lockdown, you would then go test, contact trace, isolate those guys, and then get it under control, allow the NHS to prep, and then just continue doing that. But we know that obviously that's just not possible. People get so crazy, you know, the economy, you know, needs to sort of carry on. Um, So there will be, I think, once we have a point where we're testing massively and able to do it properly, if we ever get there, um, we will have probably rolling lockdowns. So where we find hotspots, they'll lock down that town or city or whatever it is um, and then get that under control. And then also have um, an intermittent 
national lockdown. So you'll have maybe three weeks, four weeks in in the winter months where this where everything is shut down, just like we are now, and that will continue. Um, I don't know in terms of the spacing, the timings of it, but that will continue. I think for eighteen months or so. I mean, when you look at countries who have supposedly had it under control and then started letting people out a little bit, like Hong, uh, in Hong Kong, they did that. In Japan, they've done that. They've, they're starting to see an uptick. Uh, China are starting to see a few more cases as well, again. So this isn't something that's just going to go away because we've had a lockdown. So to say that, um, oh, we, if the season that was just been paused needs to be finished, I think is ludicrous anyway. But then the not next season has to be structured in a way where you're able to incorporate this three, potentially three, four, two, four-week periods where you don't have anything going on, um, depending on the timings. And, and that will reflect in, um, you know, in contracts and things like that. So it's not a case of the contracts will have a clause, well, a, a pandemic clause or, a, you know, an alien invasion clause. <laughs> but, but, but it will be more adaptive. It will be maybe like a, a more more of it will be pay pay per play kind of payments and um, achievements. You know, did you win a trophy? That type of stuff and and bonuses and and more of it will be in that kind of area than uh, and sort of prorated in terms of how much you played and things like that. Then it will be in here's ten million a year and I know not they don't all earn ten million a year, but you know what I mean. Just mm. the full the majority of the salary the majority of the package is the salary. And I think that will flip in terms of contracts. You'll also see a, potentially this could be the death of the League Cup. So take those fixtures yeah. out for next season. Um, and potentially even, depending on what the strategy is at a UK national level with the rolling uh, lockdowns, that, that's my own kind of thought process on it. But if it was to go down that road, you could see the loss of the FA Cup, at least for a season, yeah. uh, to incorporate these things. So stuff like that. And certainly we've already touched upon some of these lower league clubs getting are, are going to they're going to die. And I think in the future, um, hopefully this kicks people on to fund that grassroots area a bit mm. more like the Premier League's putting more money into those areas. I don't know. You hope you hope that people come out of this having learned something. But unfortunately, people aren't like that. So, you, you know, I don't know. You see, you can't predict what's going to happen, but there will be fundamental changes to the way in which we live. And that will affect football as well. Unfortunately, Joshi, I totally agree with your pessimism on that. And I, I think it comes down to my, my initial thought was until there's a vaccine, we're not going to have spectator sports of any kind. You, you just can't have 25, 50,000 people gathered in the same place you just mm. not going to be able to do that from a practice regardless of how football organizes itself just from a from a purely uh public safety consideration you just you're you're we're initially talking about uh moving to playing behind closed doors in 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 the short run uh and then until we have a vaccine you just can't have that level of assembly again mm. yeah i agree and even the behind closed doors piece is a little bit like well you're still going to have a few hundred people there because you're going to have you're going to have the stadium has to be there has to be security and all, and all that kind of stuff and 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 you've got all the staff and the coaching and the players and and you know this idea that you can put them into these kind of quarantine camps and then send them off to play i mean do the players want to do that i mean what the hell <laughs> do, do you know what i mean and, and, Doubt it. Yeah. and i'm sure if you know there's something in their contracts about well you know, I need to see my 
kids, I need to see my family. This, it doesn't make sense to me. No. And then you've got the added, um, you know, the added sort of risk that when you start having these matches, um, you know, for example, if the say, for example, the Premier League started up again next year, next uh, next week, um, no doubt in my mind you would have, the, you know, it, it would be a small minority, but a small minority of like hundreds of thousands of fans is still enough to cause a problem. And we saw people like at the PSG behind closed doors game, there were 10,000 people outside the stadium. Yeah, the Dortmund game, yeah. 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 Or and imagine the match, say say we did restart and, and, and you had Liverpool were about to win, whoever it is, whatever the match is, they need what, one more win, right? Or two more wins. They need two more wins. So, then, oh, yeah. so they win the next match and then the next one. You think there's going to be Liverpool? Do you think every single Liverpool fan is going to go? Oh, I'll just sit at home, and they'll they'll want. <laughs> there will be that that small minority because we're seeing yeah. it just now. You know, when there's no sport on, people are still hanging around. That last day when people were told, "Don't go out," everyone went. Not not everyone, but there was a whole bunch of people out on the lash, yeah. going, oh, "This yeah. doesn't affect me." You know, so in that situation, you're just unnecessarily creating an attraction for people to go to and hang out outside. The, you know, they may go with the best of intentions saying I'm going to keep my distance but if you know five even if like a thousand people out of a 45,000 seat stadium that's a minority but it's still a thousand people hanging out outside a stadium to try and mm. to try and pick up some kind of I was there moment when Liverpool won the league after 30 years do you, do you know what I mean yeah that kind of risk Definitely. to me that kind of risk to me is just it's it's unnecessary you, what are you thinking right so I just don't see it happening, and and that's why I I, I think the the following season is people talk about the one that's been paused. The following season is at risk. Right off this one that's gone, it's done. Decide what you want to do. Give the t- like, title to Liverpool, whatever it is. I, I I don't have a solution on that front, but it's done. There's no, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Right. So you've got to start coming up with how you resolve. I don't know Champions League places or whatever, or whatever you want to talk about. And start thinking about the next season. That's what I'd be thinking about. Like, what are we going to do to mitigate for what is likely going to be rolling, um, you know, lockdowns? And are we able? We're pretty much going to have, you know, no more than fifty people in groups and that that kind of stuff. Then that might get eased off. How are you going to do that? Are you going to have an entire season behind closed doors? We'll see. But that's what I'd be thinking about. Is more the next season, not the one that's just gone. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, how do how do people prove that they've been vaccinated? Once we have a vaccine, if you if you say we're well, we're not going to go back to how we were, but okay, we're going to um, do try social distancing within the stadium. How do you only admit people who have some kind of vaccination certificate or something like that? I mean, it throws up so no seriously. I mean, it throws up so many sort of logistical difficulties. Of you know, how do you reorganize spectator sports? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the point if if we did have a vaccine, the point of a vaccine would be to break the chain of infection. Mm-hmm. So as long as fifty to sixty percent of the population is vac- is vaccinated then you start to break that chain. So if you think currently, so I'm going back into a bit more of my kind of nerdy data stuff, but currently on average, each person who has uh, uh, this coronavirus um, passes it on to three people and then they pass it on to another three each and so on and so on. After 10 layers, you hit uh, around 54,000, right? So one person could, after 10 kind of 
layers of passing on has infected 54,000 people. If you cut that average down to about 1.4, which is the average for the normal flu, those 10 layers, so you know, uh, you infect one and a bit people on average and so on and so on, you only infect about 14 people, right? So it's a massive difference. So just cutting, so that's why staying at home is so important. Yeah. But it's the same as vaccinating. So if you vaccinate 60 to 70% of the population with a vaccine that's, let's say, 90% effective, you've, every other person is essentially breaking the chain. And it's that, that's what help, helps. So the, the certificate bit, you is yeah you wouldn't need a certificate but it is also a case of you still need to vaccinate 40 million people right oh, oh sorry 33 million people oh no actually more than that because it depends on the how effective the vaccine is but right. you, you, you get my point right it's 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 not an easy task but um once you're there you're you're there yeah, yeah. so you guys have brought up now the idea that this season won't be completed obviously the premier league haven't gotten there yet themselves but they have indefinitely suspended the premier league they didn't use that term but they said it'll be suspended until it is safe and appropriate in air quotes to return to play uh having already addressed the fact that you don't feel like the 2019-20 season will be played out how do you guys feel the premier league and the english game on the whole has handled this situation from minute one i i don't think there's any rule book for this it's literally as yoshi says you know everybody's trying to you know make it up as they go along or, or mm. just respond to the things that are happening literally on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I mean, it's hard enough to predict 24 hours in, in this kind of situation, let alone, you know, three weeks or a month or, uh, or a, a point at which we would, we would want to resume the season. Uh, no, I think we're, we're well past that point. Uh, and I think, as Joshy said, really, uh, we should be concentrating now on how we reorganize um, the structure of football for next season. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it, it's not something that anybody has got any experience of. It's it, it's just arrived at a point where, you know, um, nobody knows a, a lot about it. No rule book, as, as Steve rightly said. So um, I, I don't think we can criticise what the Premier League have done. They, they cancelled that first weekend. Uh, albeit maybe I mean it was difficult to know even at that point um where where we were sitting in the whole whole scheme of things from watching from afar you know what was going on in China and, and Italy as well so and obviously across to Spain and France so I think they they they, they suspended the football um at just the right time um a day before uh <laughs> the weekend of games was probably you know inconvenient but you know, when you look back at it, it was it was the right decision at the right time to suspend it uh, indefinitely because obviously, you know, there's there's no way of playing for for the next uh, number of weeks or, or or even months. You know, I can't I can't see things changing for at least two or three months anyway. And, and like like Joshy says, it's you know, it, it's not so much this season. It's it's all about um, you know how how next season is is uh, is organised and and what decisions are made made for that um in terms of what they do um with um, with the uh positions and and who has what it's an odd one because you know the non-league structure have already decided to null and void um their season so none of the goals scored 
by anybody counts, although the fines still count, which I find a bit odd. The yellow card fines and the book, the red cards, they still got to pay the fines, but even though they're not completing their season. So it's it's a bit difficult for those non-league clubs because nothing is going to go down you know, in the record books at all. Um, those goals and, and stuff and the results that have been played out um, are not going to not going to be stored anywhere. So that's a bit different. I, I just wonder whether, not that the Premier League cares an awful lot about a non-league, as we know, but um, I wonder whether that kind of sets the precedence a little bit. Um, obviously, the National League um, is kind of involved, well, kind of linked in with the EFL and, and the Premier League as well in terms of, you know, what decision is going to come next. But um, that, you know, that's going to be um, difficult enough as it is to make that decision, let alone deciding how, how they plan for next season um it's i wouldn't want to be the person uh having those discussions and making those decisions because it's you know it's just a minefield and it's i hate to say it but it's you know it's a, a lawsuits waiting to happen really isn't it in in terms of what they decide you know I'm, i know it's a difficult situation at the moment but i think that's kind of the you know the the area that we're in at the moment you know if they decide not to promote promote leads for next you know for next season into the premier league then uh, yeah it, it's yeah, it's it's so difficult to make a decision. A decision's got to be made, yeah, but how are they going to make it? I just I just don't know. It's it's so unprecedented, it's so difficult. They've got a few weeks yet until they uh, actually go down that route. I think it's till, isn't it? Um, UEFA are saying that football's got to be played finished by the end of June. Is that right? Because of the contracts, I think. I think so the, the president uh, Seferin, if if I'm pronouncing that rightly, uh, said it needed to be completed now by August first. But then UEFA came out. And corrected those statements, saying that uh, you know they'll continue to assess the situation and kind of yeah. continue to play yeah. by ear, which is just what we keep hearing from everyone. Yeah, we're all in at the moment. We're all assessing the situation. All yeah, time. exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, look, it's it's not it's not um it's not an easy position to be in wherever you are a leader uh, in in a, an organization and. An industry or whatever it is, right? So you're always you're, you. We have to be look. It's evolving all the time, and you have to look at it. Uh, in, in terms of how the Premier League handled it, I think I was quite critical at the, in, in the podcast previously because it was so blindingly obvious that they needed to shut down, and they had previously said that the games would go ahead. And then uh, Mikel Arteta was tested positive, and everyone lost yeah. their shit. And yeah. and and the Premier League went, oh, all, all games are shut down. And I think it was the right decision. But I, you know, I was critical, but with a bit of reflection, it is true. Look, it, there's nobody's ever been in this situation. We, we, in our in our, um, I think the last like pandemic of this level was in 1918. Oldest, you know, you'd have, yeah, you'd have to be one of the oldest people in the world, right? So, so <laughs> I don't think any of them worked for the Premier League. So, um, maybe well, I don't do, know, I they might do, <laughs> yeah. but, and but I did say is, that it, it, you know they could hold their job forever, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, the point is that you know they're they're in a situation that nobody's been in. It reminds me actually of a conversation I had one uh, one of our HR, our HR director in, in my company, and she had been asked by one of the one of the more junior members in, in the company, Is there an HR policy for this stuff? and she was like. No, we don't have HR policies for <laughs> pandemics. You know, like <laughs> you know, so, so it was it was quite funny. But, you know, um, but, but, yeah. Yes, they will after this. Absolutely. Yeah. Have, yeah. We we obviously have emergency management systems and all that, but um, that's quite funny. But you know, same with the Premier League, right? They once they made the decision, it was the right decision. From there, I think nobody can criticize the way in which you know, even though they said, "Oh." 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll restart at the end of April. I personally think they're, you know, they have to be, I think there's probably a realization at, even at that, that stage that they weren't going to be able to do it, but you can't just go, right, we can't do it. That, you know, they don't know the, you know, they have, you have to investigate the legalities mm. of it, contracts, TV deals, everything. So you've got to kind of say, I, I guess what they did and, and certainly what I would have done um, with the benefit of hindsight, obviously, um, is is what kind of what they've done, right? Is say, right, we'll try and play the season out. And then you're basically got your whole team scrambling over all the contracts, all the deals, PFA, mm. FA, Premier League, everything, right? Everyone is just all the different kind of inter interrelationships and, and all that kind of stuff. And then working out what the ramifications of just dusting the season would be before you actually then dust the season. So I think what they've done, they've handled it well. I think, and, and in fairness, the Premier League, they haven't come, they're not the ones that have come out and started talking about behind closed doors and things like that. It's from, from what I can see. They've just said, they've said a few dates and then they've said, oh, actually, that's clearly too ambitious. End of April is not going to happen. So when it's safe to do so, which I think is a fair statement to make. Mm. Um, so it, it, it would be harsh. It, I, I wouldn't want to be critical of them now. I think in, in ultimately where we are, nobody could have done a... Yeah. What they've done is the right job, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, gotcha. Well, then, uh, interested to hear how you guys are going to line up that with uh, UEFA's current stance. Uh, I think, Jay, you mentioned now that the Belgian League has already crowned a winner. Um, it sounds mm. like, uh, based on the timetable that we're hearing um, from the Netherlands on, on when their government thinks they'll be allowed to have public gatherings again, um, that that season will end up being either voided or, or finalized with the standings as they currently are. UEFA's response to these two happenings has been to threaten that they won't allow um, clubs from leagues that halt or abandon their seasons to play in the Champions League or Europa League next season. What do you make of that almost kind of strong-arming um, some of the leagues to try to continue whenever they can? Uh, well, I, I, haven't for, I, for one, haven't kept up uh, with uh, what UEFA's uh, latest pronouncements have been, but I think it one thing is clear. It changes a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. But I, I think one thing is clear, that, that trying to create a cushion or a space by moving euros is going to prove to be totally futile uh, mm. in, in the end. Because, you know, as we were saying, if we're sort of thinking about how to restructure next season, we have to factor the euros into that. And I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the individual league's priorities. Uh, they're going to be thinking, how can we um, get back to as, as close to normal as we can in our own domestic um, uh, situation without even thinking about um, what we have to do to accommodate that. So uh, it's uh, somebody mentioned earlier, I forget who it was, about possibly losing the, the League Cup, possibly even losing the FA Cup domestically. I, it wouldn't surprise me that we uh, we, we lose the, um, the Europa League uh, next year. I think uh, they'll try and do everything they can to make sure that the Champions League goes ahead. But, uh, but again, we've got the whole uh, ridiculous situation of, of uh, 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 conflicting ideas of who qualifies for it. So, mm. I, literally, everything's everything's up in the air. And I hate to I hate to be so sort of non-committal about this. I think the fact that the only certainty is uncertainty is so actually something we can hang our hats on at the moment. Uh, yeah, again, Steve made some real valid points there, and I I think the strong arming comments there are difficult because. 
everybody you know we're, we're all in the same scenario and you know the, the landscape is changing on a almost daily basis or less than that at the moment isn't it it's it's almost on an hourly basis just in terms of the statistics that are coming through and, and things like that so i think it's i think it's possibly a bit foolish um to kind of strong arm because it, it, you know as we've already mentioned before we none of us have experienced anything like this and um, whatever business you're in, and and uh, it's it's a difficult one. Obviously, they need to be seen to be kind of being organised and making sure that everything is uh, is in order. But I, I think that's probably the wrong thing to do. I think at the moment, as we're talking, this season doesn't look like it's going to happen at any point uh, across Europe uh, anywhere. Um, so again, Steve, you mentioned the word futile there. I think it's probably futile on their point to to even make that suggestion really um to be handing out you know suggestions that you know teams of countries won't qualify if they cancel their league too early i just it just seems a crazy thing to do i think at end of the day it's you know this season this season doesn't look like it's going to happen again maybe they're wishful thinking more than anything else with that statement but i just think it's yeah it's a it's probably an odd statement to make at this point because we're all trying to learn on a daily basis aren't we really um and you know mm-hmm. That we're we're no different as the next person. So yeah, it's it, it it's a tough scenario. It really is. And I guess I guess we're gonna get the odd the the odd comment like that or the odd statement like that from different organisations from from different places. But um, yeah, and, and until until we start getting some direction and seeing some improvement, then you know that yeah, we're we're not gonna see this season. It's all about next season now and how that's gonna be. Uh, organised and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's just kind of a silly, silly comment by them to make. Yeah, but I mean, so in, in fairness, I think um, in fairness to UEFA, which is an odd one for me, but um, what, <laughs> what what they actually said, it was a little bit more of a, um, it was more reserved than oh they could. I think the media have said that they could be kicked out because of the they've, how they've interpreted the statement. Essentially, what they've said was. They they think it can restart and and although their words are we're confident it could I don't know how confident, why they're confident but um, that's what they've said we they, you know essentially they think they, that it could restart so we're, they're not sure why people are abandoning leagues just yet so that was the first bit um, and then the second bit was they said we want to retain the integrity of the game and, and therefore you know ideally have everything played out and results played out on the on the pitch. And that has been interpreted as if it's not played out on the pitch, then you've broken the rules. Because they've said played out on the pitch as per our rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. That being said, they did have a final bit. And, you know, I think the last bit of the statement was, well, you know, obviously this all depends on national government stuff, regulation stuff. So so they, there is an acknowledgement that what they've said, whilst it was a lot more definitive than and, and less open-ended than other statements uh, made by sporting bodies it's um it's not as bad as right if no if people don't complete they're going to be chucked out of the champions league it's an interpretation because that's what the rules state if a, if a league hasn't completed they can't be uh, considered for european competition right so they didn't outright come out and say um people, clubs will be chucked out what they said was in into to uphold the integrity of the game ideally we would like everything played out on the pitch um, and also they said it's probably a bit early to be abandoning leagues, which I don't necessarily agree with. 
but I guess it's part of their, they need to try at least um, to, to try and get them all done. So uh, that was a little bit of a defense of the statement. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I don't think if it was uh, meant as a threat, it's obviously doesn't really matter, right? Who, who gives a shit about UEFA if the UK government and, you know, Italy's on lockdown, France is going to be, the, you know, Spain is on lockdown, UK is going to be on some kind of lockdown or, you know, other countries are like no more than 50 people in a group. You know, that, who cares what UEFA say? You know, the government and, you know, the police are, pe- you know, in, in, in Italy are arresting people if they're out and about. In India, they're battering them with sticks. You know, if UEFA, if UEFA say we've got to play the leagues, <laughs> what the hell what you know who cares, what, what Nobody really cares. <laughs> exactly right so i think it's more of a it was a, it was a i think it was a fair statement it was maybe a bit stronger than others but um ultimately they want to try and get the leagues done it, it's just not going to happen so mm. again they will probably be thinking about the future and i think they're probably in the same boat as everyone else in trying to work out exactly what this means for their like for the game right so yeah we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens from their point of view but mm-hmm. i don't think i mean imagine this if everyone abandons their leagues what are they going to do hold a champions league who's going to be in the champions league right mm-hmm. you know Sp- spain are not yeah. going to restart they're in an absolute lockdown right now italy aren't going to restart so you're telling me a champions league without barcelona real yeah. madrid juventus and then we're we're do you see what i mean so all of yeah. a sudden the north london clubs have a chance clutching at straws there Kev yeah perhaps perhaps a touch but Josh I am glad that you you mentioned what the actual comments were I I may have found a less great source that yeah like you mentioned had kind of been re-narrativized so do appreciate you um, correcting that so that I know that we are talking correctly about this Um, I did want to just wrap up by talking to you guys about your clubs um, to see how you guys have been handling this where the workers those non-playing uh, workers stand that we mentioned earlier, if you've allowed players to return home, what's the current situation uh, surrounding your clubs at the moment? Well, uh, personally, I I was in London uh, for the Manchester United game uh, the weekend that the season got cancelled, and that would have been the first time I would have visited the new stadium. I just hadn't had a chance to, to get Oof. to the new stadium. Yet, so, But the good thing about that cancellation, Kevin, was I got to see my son, who's an NHS worker, and I spent the weekend with him instead of going to the game. So uh, I was very, very happy about that. Um, Spurs uh, initially made, obviously, a bit of a... a, a faux pas in terms of the furlough uh, arrangements they didn't handle that particularly well as again uh, as i said comes back to the idea of the optics and how how people perceive um what you do rather than what you actually do and and what the information is that you have when you do it um so uh we're you know we're in the same boat as everybody else we're sort of scrambling to to just do the right thing as as far as we can but also, you know, we're making the rules up as we go along and the Premier League are doing the same. So you just really have to um, have to see what developments are going to be uh, proposed to everybody uh, about, as Joshy says, in some way finishing out the season if they, you know, fly all the teams to us or something like that and play all the games in Australia and just televise them. I don't know. I mean, so that's, you know, they certainly have the money to be able to do that. Um I don't, I don't know, honestly. It changes from week to week. And um, yeah, again, the other thing is 
we, we were talking about contractual obligations and the idea that the Premier League has a contractual obligation to Sky to to provide broadcast content uh, for a specific length of time and a specific number of games. I mean, my my dad's 83 and he's isolating and and the one thing that he misses more than more than anything in the world is is being able to watch live football. But that is no reason any kind of legal or 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 even political consideration is no reason to put public health even more at risk than it already is and so i think that has got to got to be the um the overarching um the overarching consideration when we come to um thinking about uh, the club employees or the or the players or the the board or or particularly the fans. The fans are, are kind of the key element in, in how we think about what football means going forward. To be honest, I'm quite proud of uh, what Palace have done, actually, uh, ever since. I mean, ahead of the Premier League being suspended uh, on that afternoon or that weekend or that day that I think they announced an hour before Arteta was announced as having a virus that they said the games are going to go ahead that weekend. And then uh, that obviously dramatically changed after the news about Arteta. But we had a uh, a group of uh, cyclists cycling from Sellers Park to Bournemouth, which is the game we were due to play that Saturday. Um, uh, all for charity, all for the Palace for Life Foundation. They obviously arrived on Saturday to no game being played, uh, which was uh, which is unfortunate for for their perspective after. Uh, an overnight stay on the way down. I think they started off on the Thursday to go down there. Um, but a, a brief mention to them for raising a, a fair amount of money um, and, and no football to be seen when they got down to the South Coast, unfortunately. Um, but the club have um, not decided to furlough staff. As I mentioned earlier, Steve Parrish has vowed to continue paying uh, the non-playing staff throughout this period, however long it lasts. Obviously, um, those people would be paid, uh, would be working through to the end of the season and, and some of them across the summer as well. So um, that's valiant from from his perspective. Um, also, the Palace for Life Foundation are doing an awful lot of good in, in and around the community, as are a number of Palace players. Andros Townsend and Wilfred Zaha are two, to name just, to, to name just two, actually, from the Palace squad that um, do donate to local charities, including Palace for Life. Um, and we're we're massive in the local community in terms of what they do. Um, there was a draw, uh, a special super draw at the weekend. Even though Palace didn't play, they went ahead with a super draw, and it was online. You could buy tickets, and it was a food bank special. So all the money was dedicated to a local uh, food bank. So Palace is an awful lot during this difficult time for the local community, and um, they I think they've also offered the stadium for use for the NHS. Uh, as well, which uh, I think is still waiting to to get approval. So, um, yeah, a, a lot has been done by Palace, and um, I'm not surprised because they do a lot of good stuff in the community. So, um, hopefully, they continue to do so across uh, across however long this goes on for. So, yeah, I I can't speak highly enough, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, I'm probably a little bit surprised at how well United have um, managed this. I'm, I'm very proud of the way in which the club have, have, have uh, behaved in, in all of this. And the, the reason I say I'm a little bit surprised is because of our owners. I absolutely hate them. And they, they are all about the money. They're all about the cash. And, and all of their actions have been along those lines. Obviously, throughout the years, the club itself is run by, not run by the owners in, in, in that sense, like the day-to-day. 
Um, so we, they always, there are a lot of community efforts. So, uh, um, you know, not surprised that those things continued. But it, it, from a from this specific situation, uh, the club have guaranteed all 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 um, salaries for non-playing staff, including the the ones that are temporary, so the ones that come on match days, and, and um, so they come through agencies and things like that. So I think those have been included. So it comes to two thousand when you extend it out, two thousand people that they've kind of guaranteed those payments for. Um, <clears throat> they also donated. I mean, it wasn't in the grand scheme of the club itself, not a huge amount, but they donated to local food banks. I think about hundred thousand. Um, they have um, as a as a as a squad of players. The players have agreed to donate 30% of their salaries to, as I mentioned earlier, local uh, community efforts and the N- and NHS efforts with, with with this COVID-19 stuff. And then individually, players have been doing stuff. So Marcus Rashford has done stuff. Juan Mata always seems to be doing stuff. Um, so you yeah, know, he did prior that 1% to this, thing back in the day, right? Yeah, which is awesome, and it's accumulating. So it's still going. You know, start off with a few footballers, but I'm not sure how many he's got on it now. But when I last checked, which was well over a year ago, um, he had about a hundred different footballers on it. So when you consider that how much they earn, one percent may not be a lot, but it is when you add it all up like that. So I'm not sure exactly where that is, but he's doing other stuff as well. Um, but even prior to that, right? So we had that game that was uh, who was it against? I can't remember now, but um, which ended up being behind closed doors. And that was away. So it was against Bruges, I think. Uh, I know. I don't know. I'm getting things mixed up. But um, the the club gave all away fans who were going to be traveling 350 quid as part of their like a bit of payment back for um, travel and stuff. They didn't need to do that, but they did. Um, they're f- they're not taking ticket payments for next season, uh, and they've frozen season ticket prices. Um, they've done a few other things as well. So I, you know, I, I think. Ultimately, I don't want to. Yes, I'm very proud of the way in which they've behaved, and proud of actually the players coming, chipping together, and going, "This is what we're going to do." Um, but ultimately, the way the club has behaved uh, is, for me, how any any normal person in that situation should behave, right? Because we're a rich club, we make a lot of money, we bring in a lot of revenue, so all of those things are. You, you have if if you're not if you're just kind of doing the norm, that's cool. So that, which I think is what, where we are. I'm not, I don't think they've, the club itself have gone massively above and beyond, but when you consider other, other clubs have done, you know, have furloughed, have, have furloughed staff and stuff, uh, then, then you've got to be proud of the way in which they've behaved. Um, but I think for me, that's, that's normal behavior, right? In this kind of situation to tell people, sorry, you know, we're going to, first of all, you know, some some companies have launched all their staff, right? Because they they can't keep them on, which, I, I, you know, I'm not sure I agree with all of that. Shareholders will be pocketing money and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I am proud of the way the club has has, uh, has responded, and in particular the players. So, you know, which in this uh, football world of tribalism has given me a lot of ammunition in the last week. So, it's very good for me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on today. Uh, if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. 
Uh, thanks very much for having me on again, Kevin. That was a great discussion in difficult times. Uh, I'm Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. Uh, you can also follow at NY Spurs. And for my non-football writing, if you're interested in that, you can find it at northernslant.com. Yeah, Kev, thanks for having us on in um, what is uh, really odd, difficult times for us all at the moment. But uh, it's good to get back to some sort of normality and uh, talk about some footballs, which is good. Um, you can get me uh, on Palace Fans on Twitter or on Instagram and Facebook as well, at the Eagles Beak. And also uh, my radio show, which is at the Meridian SS. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, uh, Kev, for having me on. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Medijoshi, so M-E-D-I-J-O-S-H-I, where I'm tweeting a lot about the uh, coronavirus uh, at the moment, lots of misinformation out there, which I am trying to correct and also answer questions. So find me on there if you if you have questions. Um, and I also kind of contribute to other podcasts and uh, football uh, YouTube channels. Uh, and I'll finish with uh, stay safe, stay informed and stay at home. Yeah, thanks again, guys. It really was a pleasure. Even even in these dark times, it's nice to just get together and be able to chat about football, even if it's about all these negative ramifications currently surrounding it. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for joining me, folks at home. We hope you keep listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.